0: During the holiday season, as we look closely at the nativity, one of the more intriguing elements of the entire nativity season is the presence of shepherds uh, to witness the birth of all things. It would be shepherds, the the most humblest of uh, people in all of Israel. Today we're going to take a a special look as we're finishing up understanding the the, the what what uh, Nephi saw and what uh, those ancient Book of Mormon prophets seen they would have seen shepherds any visions of seeing uh, the birth of the Savior so so that said um, we're gonna I want to do a special uh, discussion today about the shepherds of Israel and how important that was to um uh, Symbolically about the birth of the Savior. So, join us today for the special little podcast, uh, not done in front of the class, uh, but done uh, just kind of as a as a special bonus, kind of our Christmas uh, uh, present to to everybody else. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley, recorded live we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. OK. Thank you for joining us on this uh, special podcast. Uh, obviously, today it's it's just me. Uh, we're finishing up the end of a, a semester in the uh, Book of Mormon. Uh, and, and yet, when we get into the, the holiday season where we are right now, there's a number of questions that come up relative to the nativity. Uh, and one of those things that I think uh, Nephi saw in vision uh, Some of the other uh, Book of Mormon prophets saw this in vision. And they're seeing things without necessarily always uh, having the understanding of why things took place where they did in conjunction with the nativity. So one of the questions that we get asked, uh, you know, if you think about it, think this thing through, you're going to ask a couple of things. First of all, why Bethlehem and why shepherds? What was the purpose of having the, the shepherds there? It seems like if you're wanting to do uh, marketing and you're wanting to get the word out that something great has really kind of occurred, like the, the birth of uh, the Messiah of, of Israel, uh, shepherds would be the least of these uh, to go out and witness, which they did, apparently they went out and told everybody what they'd seen. But it is an interesting question as to why it is that uh, the Lord would go that direction. Well, we have a couple of clues uh, from the scriptures uh, that, that when we're looking at the idea of symbolism and why it is that uh, symbols carry such weight and that sun symbols can become signs of what's supposed to come, uh, there's a couple of uh, interesting uh, scenarios around why Bethlehem and why shepherds and why that was so important uh, to what would occur. So often when if you're going to be looking to uh, the fir- that first generation of Israelites who are really uh, straining under the yoke under the Roman yoke uh, who is in the land, not just as oppressors, but they're pagan. Uh, they don't really believe they're allowing Jews to basically do what they want to do, but their presence is always a constant, reminder that that could change at any moment, and certainly their history tells them that these oppressors giving them space might sometime soon not give them any space anymore, and they're going to go ahead and crush them, uh, which they had uh, the ability to do and which they would finally do in uh, A.D. uh, 66. But let's start then, why Bethlehem and why the shepherds? First of all, you have to go all the way back to uh, anciently to the book of Micah in the Old Testament. So many of these last prophets like like Micah and Malachi and those were uh, predicting and prophesying what was going to occur. occur. Um, and in Micah 7, uh, the Lord is promising, He says, I will make Israel. Uh, a remnant and her that is cast far off, a straying nation, the Lord will reign over them in in uh, Mount Zion henceforth and forever. Well, wow, there's a Messiah that's coming. And then in verse eight, and thou, O uh, Tower of the flock, uh, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee it shall come, uh, and the first dominion. Uh, uh, the kingdom shall come unto the uh, the daughter of Jeru- of Jerusalem, and then it says, "And why thou? Why dost thou cry aloud? There is no king there. Is there a counselor perish? For pangs I have taken thee uh, in in travail. Um. In in chapter five, it's going to say, "But thou Bethlehem that." Thou, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judah, all the little towns and cities, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Oh, so we get these two little glimpses of, first of all, uh, this Messiah that we're looking for is coming where? It's coming out of Bethlehem, uh, in this small little town in in uh, among the hills of Judea, uh, and out of her is going to come the ruler in Israel. Well, that, that's terrific, but it's also saying, but then it's also giving us this glimpse of uh, the tower of the flock. Thou stronghold of Zion unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion, the kingdom that shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So we're being given these two little glimpses coming from Micah. A, it will be in Bethlehem and there's going to be a tower of a flock that's going to play a prominent role. Um, now, interestingly enough, um, if, you, if you go to um, uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem today, where uh, we have been a, a number of times, from, uh, from Jerusalem itself, as we know, sits up on top of Mount Moriah. All everything in in Israel kind of rises up towards uh, Jerusalem, uh, and everything from Mount Moriah is downhill. And man, is that that is especially true when we get to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. When you get up on Mount Moriah, um, you're going to be looking down in all directions on the other hills of Judea. Now to then go to Bethlehem, you're going to come down, out of, out of uh, and down from Jerusalem. You're going to journey down in towards the valleys around Jerusalem, and then ultimately when you get to Bethlehem, which is only five miles away, uh, Bethlehem, like all ancient cities, was actually built as high up as they could get it, and it was a walled city. It's the only way you're going to survive in case you get attacked by whoever. And so Bethlehem itself sat up on the hill. It's a smaller hill than, than Jerusalem or Mount Moriah, but it sits up on a hill. And uh, the traditional site of uh, the, the uh, Church of the Nativity sits up on top of that, that hill in Bethlehem. Anybody that has visited Bethlehem knows that oftentimes uh, parking and buses and everything park lower down, and it is a long hike up the hill to get to the Church of the Nativity. It's, there's a lot of huffing and puffing by the time we get up to the top of of that hill to get to the, to the church, because um, it sat up there. But from there, where are the sheep going to be held? Well, you as you're going back down the the traditional fields of the flocks, uh, whether they were the uh, the the flock we're talking about, or whether any flock is going to be downhill, it's in the it's in the valleys surrounding Bethlehem. It, it's it's looking down, and those hills around Bethlehem are potted with with caves and crevices and places. Uh, that would be perfect for uh, shepherds to stay in while uh, the sheep are grazing on the sides of the hills, uh, sides of the hills where all, all of the the grasses are, outside of the city, just within uh, a couple of miles, really of that traditional spot of the the church and the nativity. Okay, now tradition uh, says. Um, that that's where uh, traditionally when we go to uh, uh, the idea of the the tower of the flock that uh, and there's some disagreement in here between uh, some of the traditional thinking and and number of scholars kind of push back on this idea but there's some strong uh, possibility that from Jerusalem, you'd have to have a place uh, where traditionally those uh, the the flocks that were going to be used in the temple could be kept, and uh, uh, one of the uh, the older um, uh, scholars looking at this tended to see the very much that. Um, that area around what was called Migdal Eder there's a tower there uh, and it was kind of the outer uh, boundary of the encircling uh, the city of Jerusalem uh, is would be a perfect place and traditionally was a place of a lot of sheep where a lot of sheep were ultimately used in the temple uh, and and consecrated from the very beginning uh, to be used in the temple uh, Alfred Eidesheim, uh talking about in the uh, early 1900s, and, and by the way, for if you're, for those of us who're LDS, um, when uh, James Talmage was doing a lot of his writing, he drew a lot from uh, Ad- Edelsheim on some of his thinking, and as did uh, Bruce R. McConkie, and it was uh, Edelsheim who put forth the idea that an animal that was found between Jerusalem and Migdal Eder, or a similar distance in any direction, the males were considered to ultimately to become burnt offerings. The female sheep were considered to be peace offerings. And as uh, Rabbi Yehuda said, those that are fitting in as a Pesach, or the, the Passover offering, are considered to be Passover offerings if it's 30 days before the festival. All being kept in these uh, fields around Bethlehem, the 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 flock that was kept at the tower. Okay. So as we're looking at those uh, shepherds, the, then the other the other part of them is if that's if that's where the uh, Micah was predicting that Messiah would come from, then how do you get him? how do you get this Messiah coming out of Bethlehem in what was then sitting the city of David David the shepherd Uh, his symbol was a shepherd and a shepherd's crook well real quickly as we were talking about in class last time it's a fascinating story about how do you get Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem uh, right about the time that he is to, to be born. Uh, as we mentioned last time, you have to go back in antiquity just you know, a little bit that uh, that the Greeks had ruled that area uh, for a couple of hundred years. If you go back about uh, uh, between about 600 and 400 uh, BC the Greeks had, had ruled for a long time and then uh, one of their leaders, uh, uh, Epiphanes, uh, took a different stance among, with the Jews than the other Greeks prior to that had had uh, done and that was kind of interesting that the, the Greeks traditionally said we're going to conquer a country, let them keep their own habits and their own traditions. They're easier to manage if we're not trying to wipe out their theology and, and ruin all their traditions. Okay. Um, Epiphanes was so sick of the Jews that he he took a number of steps to try and plant uh, uh, the symbols of uh, Zeus and other um, mythological uh, symbols in the temple confines, trying to put down Judaism. And that, of course, is going to cause the rebellion of the Maccabees. And uh, the Maccabees... uh, uh, rise up uh, uh, Jacob the hammer is going to wipe out Jacob uh, the, wipe out these these Greeks and believe it or not they're actually able to conquer uh, the Greeks and get them uh, uh, drive them out of Israel it's a time when the Romans were slowly taking over the world and the Greeks weren't quite as strong uh, and the Maccabees then the, the ruling class among the uh, Maccabees was the Hasmoneans, uh, one of those Hasmoneans that we know is going to come to power, uh, the the husband of one of the Hasmonean daughters, uh, royalty, who, who would be Herod the Great. But the Hasmoneans, as they came in, they were sick of all of this Greek um, control over their lands, Uh, they went to great lengths to kind of purify Israel. They're going to take over and clean out all of the Greek influence that had been uh, bothering them quite so much. And so part of what happened is is they looked at the northern area around the Galilee in the north uh, and said uh, after the ten tribes had been hauled off there had really only been mainly Greek influence in the north part of Uh, uh, north of Judea north of Samaria and it had been pretty Greek so what they did is they persuaded a number of prominent orthodox families in the south around Judea uh, to go up into the north around Galilee and by doing so to uh, repopulate the land and repopulate it with very orthodox Jewish people to kind of re-Jewish the area, if you will. But these were Judean uh, families whose homelands were actually in the south, south of Bethlehem. One of those families, uh, several of those families that would then settle in the area around Nazareth, and again were very uh, orthodox in the way that they set it up, very strong believing, very uh, Pharisaical, Uh, believers in Torah, included the the families of uh, Joseph and the families of Mary, living in the Galilee, living in and around the hills of Nazareth, but their homelands were south around Bethlehem. So that sets us up then that when there is a, uh, uh, some kind of an accounting that was going to take place that the Roman Empire was requiring, that ultimately what they did is say, okay, we're going to have to go down and do this accounting and we're going to have to go to the land of our nativity. So for Joseph and for Mary, that's going to mean they're going to have to travel south from Nazareth down uh, around Samaria on the other side of the Jordan, which we now call the West Bank, can travel down to there to get to past Jerusalem and down to the area around Bethlehem, where they had they still had kin, they still had family that were located way down there. So they're going to make that way down there, and it's about it's now when when God says now is the time, uh, Gabriel is sent, of course, as we know to Mary and to. Uh, Joseph, uh, the, the wheels are put in place in, in helping Elizabeth become pregnant in Jerusalem um, with Zacharias, so that John the Baptist is being born. Now all these things are starting to take place. But what you're getting is these uh, uh, stonemasons in Nazareth, they're going to travel down to Bethlehem. To the place of the shepherd, to the house of the shepherd, to the city of David, where they can they can go ahead and um, uh, do their accounting down there, and that's all. And that's begin all the things that we know in Luke to uh, do that. But they're going to go back to that that place of the the shepherds uh, in that that city of David. Now. Then of all the, the things that are going to happen, the, the nativity, if you think about it, the nativity could have happened very humbly, very quietly uh, as, day, as Joseph then houses probably with relatives, uh, the, their uh, guest houses, the inns uh, in the top part of the house were all uh, full of people that were there, and so they're going to probably give birth in the, in the living room area. Uh, of uh, one of their uh, relatives' houses. Uh, And then at the back of that house would have been a place that housed the sheep at night to protect them. There's a a stone uh, feeding trough, a manger that would sit between the living room and the place where the animals are being held. And we know then that uh, when Jesus is born, he's wrapped in these in uh, the the sign to the shepherds, the swaddling clothes, and placed in that manger area, uh, separating the animals from the the people. And that all could have quietly happened, except that the Lord uh, was anxious that the shepherds be witnesses. To what was about to occur. So now we're going to get the angels that are going to descend on those uh, on those fields uh, around Bethlehem, and they're going to show up, and we see, and we know all of the lights and the angels and all that, and they're told to go up to Bethlehem and find that house with a baby lying in a manger which they would have been able to see from the street you'd see from the street, you'd walk down the street, you'd look into the open area here and you'd be able to look into the house and you'd be able to see a baby lying in that feed trough manger at the back of, of the house, that would have been, you could see that from the street, so they, they were uh, anxious then, these, these uh, shepherds who very easily could have been Levite in in lineage, because they were taking care of what was most likely uh, a flock of sheep preparing for the temple, that they would have made that journey uh, to to go down there uh, and and see that. Uh, th- again, I think there's I think there's great power in the idea that uh, shepherds going to be we going to be the ones to witness that a shepherd had been born. That would ultimately uh, save Israel in the same way that their their uh, sheep were oftentimes taken up for the sin offering at uh, on Yom Kippur in the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering. That they would have gone up there to save Israel, and it would have been the sacrifice of their sheep that would have been presented as burnt offerings. And then placed in the temple to save Israel uh, on a on a regular basis. Now, uh, I, you have to love the, the a couple of imagery here and that uh, we'll mention uh, about shepherds. Uh, first of all, why sheep? Well, first of all, it's an agrarian society, and I, and we're looking at sheep. Or everywhere, (laughs) everywhere there's a hill. The sheep provide clothes. Sheep provide food. You know, sheep are a big part of uh, Israelite economy. But the image of a sheep is the fact that there are a lot of um, animals out there, and of all the animals that you might keep domestically, sheep have the least ability to defend themselves sheep have no natural way to fight back if there's a if there's a, a wolf among the sheep all they can do is run and yell uh, they don't they can't fight back like even a chicken can like peck back your know, you know goats sometimes have horns they can push back sheep have nothing uh, and they are they are completely uh, helpless without the uh, protection of a Shepherd. Now, there is a lot of images because of David and because of uh, the imagery that is used in the Old Testament. There's a lot of sheep and shepherd images that were well that we know very well. Uh, the twenty-third Psalm being one of them. Um, and and one of the one of the lines that I find interesting in the twenty third psalm is that when the uh, shepherds are talking about their ability to uh, uh, lead these sheep, part of what they're trying to do as they're doing that, uh, I don't know if you can hear an ambulance outside our door here, we're we're so grateful for that. Um, that. One of the things that bring, there's a couple of things that bring great comfort to the sheep being described in the 23rd Psalm. Uh, It says, you're going to uh, lead me to green pastures. You're gonna take me out of the rocky areas and at times of the summer when the greatest heat, you're gonna take me up to higher green pastures and feed me. Uh, And you're gonna lead me beside still waters well, still waters. Sheep have a are, tend to be uh, pretty nervous around a, a a pond that is very still. You don't know what's in there, and they tend to be a little bit uh, scared that way. Uh, running water is fine. Still waters are frightening, and you have to be carefully. You have to carefully lead the sheep past still waters. Now, what is it that makes it comfortable and puts faith and trust of the sheep into a shepherd? Um, what David is going to tell us is that he's comforted by the fact that he says, the, what is comforting? Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. The rod and the staff. The idea of a rod and a staff, there, there are two pieces here, and they're very ancient in, uh, in, uh, in symbolism, uh, not just in Israel. First of all, the shepherd's crook or the shepherd's staff is the one that he can gently lead uh, sheep along. It uh, has a crook on it, so you can actually reach down and, you know, maybe a lamb that has fallen into a little ravine, you can reach down with the crook and, and put it under its head or around its legs and pull it out, uh, or just to, to pull things along. And so that, that shepherd's crook. Can uh, tap against rock and stuff, give them some sense about where the shepherd is. So, so they're going to follow traditionally uh, their the voice of their shepherd with the shepherd's crook. And so the shepherd's crook has always been one of those uh, symbols. Now, but that's not just all. There is also a rod. So the the rod on thy staff. What's the rod? Well, the rod was more of a weapon. Oftentimes, a rod would be um, some kind of a uh, hickory or hardwood stick that might be uh, a couple of feet in length. Uh, you like to have one that would have some kind of a uh, of a knot hole, a knot at the top of that, so it's got kind of a bulb to it. It wasn't unusual that they would melt some kind of a metal. Uh, covering over the top of that uh, knob at the top of the rod Uh, and so in some cases they so they would have the crook the staff by which they would lead the sheep but the rod would be the one that they would defend the sheep with Uh, if you're being attacked by a wolf or there's wolf among the sheep a, uh, a shepherd's crook isn't that lethal a rod is, and a rod could be one that could be wielded powerfully in defense of uh, uh, robbers that might be trying to come and steal the sheep, and, and also uh, uh, predators, those kind of things. So, so uh, powerful is this imagery that if you actually look to um, uh, on uh, to Egyptian uh, mythology and pharaohs, and you'll look that is one of the symbols of a sh- of a uh, Pharaoh uh, it's certainly uh, King Tut has this on the top of his sarcophagus is a rod and a staff they are both there there is the leading part there is the protecting part I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that I worship a shepherd who can both lead me and protect me both things are kind of the the function of a shepherd now so so you would have then had that night uh, the shepherds coming out of the shepherd's fields up to that area where uh, uh, the, the baby was being born uh, and and by the way as we mentioned last time uh, just a side note here uh, that, that had shepherds actually according to tradition had shepherds actually found uh, this baby this Messiah this promised Uh, deliverer being born in either a cave as was believed in the kind of first couple of centuries uh, or even a a, a manger at the back of a hotel uh, where only the animals were uh, and so they were kind of in a dirty uh, manure infested kind of area. Um, There is no no way I'm here to tell you there is no way that uh, Levite Shepherds, Bedouin shepherds would have left a holy family in a in a cave or in a, uh, the barn outside a hotel to have this baby born and taken care of. In every, if had that been the case, these shepherds would have taken them home. To their, to their wives and mothers who were ta- would do the very least for little lambs being born, let alone the Savior and the Lamb of Israel would be in their home being gently, lovingly taken care of. So the presence of sheep and the presence of shepherds and the imagery that goes with sheep and shepherds in this area has tremendous symbolism for the, the humble way in which the creator of the world who would come forward and then he would declare to his people, I am the good shepherd and they are known of me. Uh, and that he was the shepherd uh, forecast in Psalms 23. Uh, he was the, the shepherd who would come to the, the uh, flock of the tower at Migdal Eder. Uh, and that he would be born and of all of, of that, but he would be born of a shepherd uh, And and I, I love that that simplism. There's no more powerful imagery of of uh, Sheep that can't defend themselves uh, Waiting for the shepherd to come and lead them where they needed to be and protect them from sin and save and save Israel in the way that that would happen so so much here and uh Hopefully at this, uh, whenever we look at the holiday season and we look at the presence of uh, shepherds, uh, what a grateful thing that should be. The imagery there should be stuck in our mind of a gentleness that he comes uh, to save us and to lead us and to protect us. And I pray that we can do that and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe, Uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday Morning Class.